Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodoichin. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. On this episode, my guest is Marcelino Sambe, principal dancer at the Royal Ballet in London. He grew up in Portugal and from a young age was inspired by the local sounds and dance, incorporating them into his own unique style of movement. As well as being a keen choreographer, he has performed in everything from classics such as The Nutcracker and Romeo and Juliet to modern productions by Wayne McGregor and Carlos Acosta. His passion is to make ballet more open to those from deprived backgrounds and he is also outspoken on matters of LGBT rights in the industry. I spoke to him about all of this, and also about his impressive daily exercise routine, his ambitions for the future, and his love of vintage Japanese clothing. Marcelino, thank you so much for talking to me today and taking time out from your crazy training schedule. Oh, no, it's fine. It's an honour. It's a pleasure. We're both in London, but you're um, originally from Lisbon or just yeah. outside. You were born just outside there into a neighbourhood of um, African immigrants from Guinea and the Portuguese colonies. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how the environment that you grew up in set you on the path to becoming a dancer? You know, I often think back of those to those times and I see, I see how lucky I was to be surrounded by sound and uh, African rhythm and um, incredible culture. And I feel like that really set me up to wanting to seek more and try to find out more about other cultures. So then when I found arts and, uh, you know, ballet, for me, it was very similar in that aspect that it's like a very insular, very inspiring community. So it, it made a lot of sense and it was very, almost very, very gratifying to be able to find another community in ballet and in dance. So I feel like that kind of like warmth, um, that sense of community, that sense of uh, we're all together in this, uh, really came from those times in that African neighborhood. Uh, and I, I'm so fond of it. And when you were eight, your, your father died and your mother was sadly unable to care for you. So you were fostered, it's something you've spoken about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and your new family encouraged you with your interest in the arts and you eventually entered the National Conservatory in Lisbon. You were given this incredible chance and since becoming successful and famous you've been quite outspoken about how ballet needs to be democratized and more opportunities need to be provided for people from underprivileged backgrounds have things changed since you were a kid or how, how have they changed so when when i was uh, giving these opportunities and my path was just so enlightened by these incredible people uh, I was so unaware of the reality of this art form and how the culture had really like been maybe um, um, made f- to emphasize more uh, a type of person and dancer. And uh, as I've grown up, I feel I've seen, I, I think I've seen and I've made part of as well the change because obviously coming to London for me, that was the, one of the biggest inspirations for me to come here and to be able to work here and develop was seeing people like Carlos Acosta that have really create, uh, carved such a, a, um, a path 
And I thought like, well, this is amazing because uh, half of the job is already done, you know, uh, people have kind of break through this barrier. And then as well, the way that like London is such a multicultural city, it, had, it has to be reflected on stage and on art and what people see when they come in, seek that escapism, you know, it, it needs to be represented. So I always thought like, well, UK, definitely a place and London, especially definitely a place that I can really like, you know, broaden their horizon. But I'm speaking of this incredible environment that is happening here in London, but elsewhere in other parts of the world, you do not see such change happen. For example, in Eastern Europe and, um, you know, in, in many other countries, I feel like even in America, I feel like it is um, the path for a dancer of my ethnicity and uh, background probably would be a bit more difficult. And um, and I speak because I, I talk with people that are experiencing such things. So I have always have to kind of like remove myself from my own uh, journey and what uh, had happened to me, fortunate, how fortunate my path has been, and kind of really see uh, subjectively how people actually are struggling to break through. So I feel like there's still a lot of room for growth and for change in a healthy way. Do you know what, what kind of things do you think can be done? Are you aware of any positive initiatives or are you involved in anything yourself? Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of initiatives when it comes to trying to recruit at the moment uh, more variety of dancers, more variety of different backgrounds, cultures, because I feel like that will enrich so much. And I've been so, so fortunate to be part of these uh, incredible classes that I'm giving online since the quarantine has happened. Because, you know, since lockdown has happened, I've, I think I've had time to catch up with a lot of things that have kind of been piled up on my in the back of my mind that I said like I really want to be able to help maybe kids in Africa that are keen to do ballet and how do I do that because you know zoom and online teaching was such a um, almost like an, not something that people wouldn't even think of when you had the opportunity to be present so I always had these amazing uh, plans of going to Africa and spend some time there with uh, some associations but obviously with this grueling schedules schedule that I go through it's very hard to book and to get time so when this opportunity came for me being at home and being able to like teach kids through zoom I realized how, how, how what an incredible tool it is you know uh, and how much you actually can pass on through this medium and I've seen like dancers come go from here to here in the space of a month and this is just because they are they, are, they have the opportunity and that's the, the key word, opportunity, to be present, to be in the presence of someone that they ins are inspired by and that they look up to. And I feel like that, that makes a huge difference. And I'm so happy that I'm able to be part of that. Um, but even in the UK, I feel like there's a lot of like recruitment. The recruitment is becoming broader, which is nice because before maybe was uh, more directed towards people that could probably pay and, you know, could probably like uh, have the, the, the right clothing to arrive to an audition, the right transportation to go into the classes. So I feel like that, that's the way that we can like move this art form forward. It's so nice to hear something positive coming out of this crazy <laughs> I <know>. time. <laughs> um, after, after your training in Lisbon, you sort of continued on this amazing trajectory of great success. Um, I think eventually in 2012, you won a scholarship to the Royal Ballet Upper School. And then you graduated into the company during its 2012-2013 um, season. As someone on the inside of the industry, what does it mean from a prestige point of view to join the Royal Ballet? Mm. Well, it was almost like a 
a manifesto being realized, you know. Uh, I have had like I had that ambition to be part of a company and I just want to be part of a company to be honest with you like it was such a humbling uh, experience in going through the school, going to competitions, you know, uh, coming from Portugal from my background and having all these people pushing me, pushing me. So when it, when I got the contract to join, to join the company it was a, the combination of like all of these elements coming together and um, and realizing that dreams do come true, you know, in, you know when you kind of think that it's kind of cringe to, to think that, but it really is. And that was the moment that I was like, you know, it's true and lots more people can go through the same. Well, um, that moment was just like such a, such a highlight of my life because I just was so aware of the legacy that this theater has and the vast repertoire and how history has kind of been is infiltrated in this building, in, in every wall, in every dancer, in every costume. And I wanted, I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to be part of that history, you know, I wanted to put my stamp in it. And I said like, wow, I come from such a different uh, point of view that I can add something that it can be quite re revolutionary. And I feel like I'm on my way still. I still haven't like really, you know, got to where I believe I can go. But that's exciting because it keeps me motivated to move forward. But that's, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be a change in this building. And you mentioned London and how diverse it is and how cosmopolitan as a city. And obviously you're right bang in the centre where you're training in the, in the building. And what do you like to do in the area? Do you, are there restaurants that you like to go out to? Your favourite? I mean, when it's not, when it's not locked down, <laughs> obviously, but is there a favourite coffee shop or... Oh yeah, this is, I love this. So, um, so I've met this guy whilst I was out. Uh, in a club in London with my friend because I do love my my balance of like you know working really hard but then I think like I cannot miss the opportunity of like exploring London all of its facets you know the the, the daily beautiful markets and then the nightlife because I feel like it's so important to have the balance otherwise you kind of become like a very one one way person and I met this guy and he said like oh I have a coffee shop in Covent Garden and I was like, okay, whatever, another coffee shop. And then I went there. It's called Abuelo. And it's like right next to the market. And it has come, kind of become like a hub for me and my girlfriends and everyone to, you know, get together and chat. And it's, the coffee's so nice. It's Australian based <laughs> and has all these amazing beans. And that's a place that I really love in Covent Garden. I really love Balthazar. It's such a meeting point as well. It was actually where I had my first date with my, my long term boyfriend that we still together for like five years ago so it has a special spot as well there and it's a place that i love going for breakfast they treat you so well and after shows as well they keep they keep the doors open for us and um another place that i like here is eat tokyo <laughs> which is like this uh very small chain of japanese food because i love love sushi and anything japanese culinary i think it's just like incredible so you've been at the Royal Ballet for a few years now and, and, and you've sort of moved up the ranks there as well and you've performed in some, you've had some amazing roles and you have, you have an, ama an enormous repertoire now, really impressive, you know, key roles in Romeo and Juliet, you've been Sleeping Beauty and the Nutcracker, all those sort of classic ballet productions um, and you were promoted to principal dancer in 2019. That must have just been incredible. Who did you tell first? Oh God, uh, I think I called my parents first and I almost felt uh, afraid to do that call. I never felt so, so I wanted the, the, the moment to mean so much that I just didn't even know how to transmit that, those news. And 
when I got the phone, it almost felt all too empty and too, um, you know, too black and white. You know, I've been promoted to principal and I feel like it's such a shock because uh, we, it's, uh, you know, I have a sister that is a ballerina as well. And we are so aware, my family is so aware of how exhausting and how, um, how lucky you need to be, how strategic you need to be, how, how present you need to be. And when something so big happens, you don't even know how to, to process it. And I was very lucky that that night I went to see, I had a concert booked to go see Lucky Day, which is an artist that I love. And that kind of took my mind off the, the massive responsibility and the massive news that I just received. So I kind of like, you know, had time to, to drink and enjoy the music and be completely outside this um, incredible, but then it was like a, a week's a week worth of like me crying sometimes in a tube like <laughs> listening to these incredible scores and like you know Brahms Requiem and just like just going through all of the incredible journeys that I went through the Royal Ballet because he hasn't been a smooth ride he's not he's not like you arrive and you're a star like I feel like I'm not a, a likely star in my eyes I don't feel like I am I'm someone that is like I'm very like specific you you look at me and you're gonna see um, a different point of view a different kind of dancer I think like it's a very difficult thing. It's like Marmite, you know, either you're going to love it or you might question it. And, I, and I've always been aware that I'm that flavor. Uh, and to know that that flavor is very, very valid and liked in this building for me was like, woo. <laughs> and of course, this amazing moment happened shortly before the pandemic hit and theatres, um, opera house, ballet were shut down and have been shut down pretty much non-stop since then what have you been doing as a principal dancer in during this time as you might imagine so i've just been promoted was like leaving my first season as a principal which was i was getting like incredible opportunities and you know preparing swan like big debuts yeah. like that and um then this happened and we all had to go home and the opera house really quickly started thinking of ways to keep us keep us engaged so we did class every day through Zoom, like with this teacher in this tiny little computer screen, uh, telling us, giving us corrections, and you know they they sent us floors so we could do jumps and you know turns in so we didn't have to sleep. So oh, we were really taken care of. But then it's not just the physical stuff that make you want to continue; it's the emotional state. And I went through a dark time that I allowed myself to do so because, as you said, my career has kind of been fast tracked. Everything has kind of gone so so beautifully you know everything has been so well so well moved forward so well and then to have this crash of energy and impetus and you know it's almost like I had time to realize all of the things that maybe I've been not acknowledging and then of course Black Lives Matter movement came to the front and started discussing all of these incredible subjects and I really had to dig deep and like it was a huge turmoil within me because I really had to kind of understand and uh, things that I've kind of like with the back of my mind and kind of not acknowledged for so many years, I kind of had to like dig deep. And it was double trouble, you know, like being already without doing my art and then having to think about all these things and what my place in society is when it comes to this kind of subject. And it was a in huge, incredible learning curve. And through that, I became very inspired to create. So I just kind of like started doing more choreography in my living room uh, because obviously my partner was busy all day from eight o'clock in the morning until 12 at night working working as a lawyer so it's like he was very busy so I kind of had to keep myself as well like busy and healthy and the best way for me to do that was creating so I created a lot of like short little online videos 
uh, with different subjects, um, one in honor and in memory of uh, George Floyd. I did another one that was as well um, based on the, the incredible journey that African slaves did through the Atlantic to, go, to come to Portugal and to come to, from, to Brazil and how uh, the Portuguese history in the world is so dark in a way because we really started at slave trade and I kind of just thought like how brave and how incredible were these people that were like sailed away to foreign lands and then arrived there and even in Brazil they were able to create the carnival and keep their spirits up and create samba and all these rhythms and I just thought like there's just so much inspiration in darkness sometimes and I thought like it's always a good way to turn to turn bad moments into something beautiful something that can aspire so I did a lot of that. That that has been kind of like my impetus as a principal dancer is kind of being creative and sending a, a beautiful message out there and keeping people inspired. That's what I've been kind of trying to do. And as well as all these classic productions that you mentioned, Swan Lake, um, you're known for also your work with some of in some sort of more contemporary pieces and working with some really big contemporary names in mm. ballet. Um, you mentioned Carlos Acosta already, and you played Basilio in Don Quixote that he directed. Um, and you created your own role in Hofesh Schechter's Untouchable for the Royal Ballet. Yeah. Um, Hofesh did this podcast a few years ago. Oh, um, cool. And he was very um, inspiring and spoke a lot about tennis and um, trainers. <laughs> He's obsessed with trainers. Um, yes. And um, you also did, uh, you were in Wayne McGregor's Wolfworks. Um, ballet's so famously full of these larger-than-life, charismatic people. How do you go about building a relationship with them and a, a trust and whatever's needed to create that magic on stage? It's, it's, quite, it's quite interesting because I've always been super aware that I have to really be aware of people's energy, especially people in leader roles like uh, choreographers, because you do want them to, to use you as much as you can. You want to be a vessel in a way, but you have to be a vessel with inspiration and you have to be a vessel that inspires, a vessel that is open for anything and... It, it really is about um, relationships and about uh, matching. And I feel like with some of these choreographers, it has been like an instant connection. For example, with Crystal Pite, I had followed her work for so many years. I just had come from watching Batrofa Night three times in a row. Like I saw, I saw that ballet and I was completely mind blown by her incredible, just her and uh, Jonathan Young, the collaboration of them too. I was just like mind blown and then she came into the building and I was expecting this huge uh, you know enigmatic character to come in and have all this kind of like strong energy and she came in and she was the most humble quietest intelligent person and I just thought like wow you can be a, a master and be super humble and incredible so there sometimes it really depends on the person and you kind of have to kind of like mold yourself and shape yourself around these incredible minds so you don't overwhelm them and underwhelm them as well. So it's like a balance. Yeah, because there must be so much ego to kind of ma monitor and manage as well. I mean, you, you know, you, you're also used to being the centre of attention. Mm. It must just be, I can imagine sparks flying. But I guess that's what creates the magic at the yeah. same time. And it's quite interesting that you're saying that because I feel like I was thinking the other day, what really marks our generation to be different than maybe the past generation in the 80s and 90s and it is that we are creators we have to be part of the process before it was much more like let's put on dean let's put send let's put la film on which is productions that were done in the 50s and so we, right. these dancers were replicating things that were done now we need to come in and forget that 
status and you just need to be a vessel full of inspiration for these incredible creators. And that's something that really is pinpointing this generation. And we are no longer required to just do Bali. We need to be able to, you know, get low on the floor, do the craziest movements, contemporary movements. And that's versatility as well, which I think like is a huge thing that now is uh, on the front of ballet. And speaking of all these moves, um, I think people are always fascinated to know how a ballet dancer stays in shape. Um, you've obviously, got, you, you know, you have to have an amazing artistic sensibility, but that is balanced out by you train like an athlete, yeah. right? Um, can you give our listeners a sense of how much effort goes into it? How are you training every day? What different kind, what kinds of exercise do you do? I feel like it's a, a, an amalgamation of uh, uh, many styles and many things. Is uh, the broader you go, the better it is for the the body and for your experience as a dancer. So I feel like if you implement in the morning, for example, a dancer has to come in early and do maybe an hour of Pilates or gyrotonics, which is like this incredible machine that really gives you a lot of range and works the small muscles, and then Pilates as well, which aligns your body perfectly. So you go into class, the ballet class, which usually lasts an hour and a half already, like warmth and like you know engaged so then you do the bar and do the do the center and then from the center you do the jumps and turns and it becomes like this massive workout uh just in the morning and then after that you have like usually 15 minutes break and then you start the daily rehearsals which can go like for six hours in a row with a few breaks in between when you either you're creating a piece with crystal pipe or putting on a sleeping beauty or a donkey shot you know so it's like a so depending on the repertoire that is happening. And then I would, I, as a dancer, you always have to be aware of your body because, you know, it's the instrument and you need to be in tune. I've, I've a couple of times been off tune with my um, instrument and that injuries happen. And that's as well the way that you are eating, the way that you're supplementing yourself. Hydration is super important for bones, skin, everything. Um, and then stretching, stretching, yoga. It's another comp- something that you can really add as a dancer is so incredible. But it's something that has really changed in our mindset uh, in the past, I think, 10 years. has been that uh, sports science has been much more connected now with dance. And although I don't call myself a sportsman, I don't think I have the sportsman's mentality, which is something that I suffer with a lot because I always see myself as an artist and all my movement, I wanted to come from an artistic way and a moving way. The sports side has to be there. And that's something that if you're a sportsman, sometimes you do really well in ballet because... <laughs> You know, you have all those tricks and all those jumps and that comes from a, a very like competitive or this, uh, sports way. You read all these things about ballerinas, about ballet dancers, especially ballerinas being unhealthy and trying to stay skinny or abusing their bodies in some way. Is that something that's changed or wow. how, do you, how do you fuel yourself? I, I do believe that uh, in some, like we were talking in the beginning, some companies still need, uh, in, the, in the other parts of the world, still need to move forward in time. And I feel like uh, the Royal Ballet is in the front of moving into, in the right directions of body acceptance, strength. Like girls here are squatting like 100 kilos in their backs. Like these squats, wow. they, are, they, are, they are strong. Like these ballerinas are super strong. So, uh, so when you are being so active and doing sports science and all of these things, you need to supplement your body otherwise you ended up injuring. So everybody's very afraid of getting injured because when you get injured, you miss the boat. So you know that if you don't eat, your bones will get weaker and you might have a little fracture or, you know, if, if you don't eat, your muscles will be in exhaustion and then they won't perform as much and you won't last the whole part of the, the whole ballet. So 
you really have to be intelligent like and you can tell when someone is malnourished because they don't have that spark that that intensity and um i feel like this company the repertoire we do needs that intensity needs that power needs that mm. presence and i think food is such a gift for that you know it's the, mm. the fuel so i feel like uh, in my personal case i've learned a lot from being injured and having to like really understand what i need to do because before i thought like as a as a younger lad in a company when I was 18, I just remember eating whatever, whenever, anything, just shove it all in and I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. <laughs> sugar, 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 sugar. And then I realized actually that I can shape my body in a better way if I eat uh, specific things and maybe like, uh, maybe a bit less meat, you know, have a bit more of a veggie uh, based diet, uh, maybe drink choose the days that you drink, you know, have a, have a bit drink there. So it's, it's start to planning as well. And I guess with age, your body starts like telling you, giving you warnings, warns that, yeah. you know, you cannot have a, a burger every week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're still so young. You speak, I mean, how old are you now? Mid 26, 26, 26. You sat, yeah. And who's the, who's the cook in your, in your relationship? Oh, it's James. James is a cook <laughs> and he's an incredible cook, I must say. And we spend a lot of time watching these incredible TV shows like Rick Stein and Nigella and we just love it. <laughs> I just love watching food because I'm such, such a foodie. So it's great. This is for Max's fashion. Of I have course. to ask you about, about what you wear. And I, I wanted to start by asking you on stage. Costumes obviously are such a huge part of the performance and they yeah. must really impact how you feel. Are there costumes that you like and is it something that you're aware of or do you just leave it to the costume designer to oh, whatever? I, do you have any input? I'm such, such a costume person. So one of my favorite departments in the Royal Opera House is the costume department. And I love uh, finding out who designed it because I love the present. Um, the, Bob Crowley, for example, is an incredible present um, uh, designer that does incredible costumes. And I love every production that he's done with Christopher Wilden and... La Traviata, all of these incredible... He is an incredible, incredible guy. Um, John McFarlane has an incredible production as well of Giselle and uh, Magic Flute. And all of these costumes are incredible. But then I started looking back to the 50s where color was used in such an incredible way. Uh, even yesterday I was watching this incredible design. I forgot the name of the designer, I must say. On uh, 1951, uh, Frederick Ashton created uh, Daphne's and Chloe with uh, Maurice Ravel music. And... The costumes, the color, the boldness of the use of color, you know, the 50s, 60s, it was just a different take on theatricals and how light would hit the costumes and how the old production would come alive. And I love those times. I think those times are so inspiring. And um, this Georgiades as well. Georgiades was another uh, incredible designer that worked very closely with Kenneth Macmillan and created like stuff like Romeo and Juliet, which was created in the 60s, 70s. And uh, it's... Just the design. I love these old productions. So basically, I'm really, really inspired by this incredible use of color and texture and fabrics from the past. The velours, the, the sparkles. It's just very beautiful. So is there a room at the Royal Opera House where you can go and see? Are they kept there or are they? where are these costumes? So the, the, as you can imagine, there's like over like, I don't even know how many productions in the Opera House, over 500, I would say, of history, historic ones. So... They are kept in wilds, but every time uh, production is com comes into the opera house, the whole wardrobe comes to it and is in the wardrobe section in the third floor, I think. And I just arrive and I have massive chats and I touch the yeah. fabrics and I love to see costumes from old people, you know, old dancers like 
Anthony Dow was always trying to fit into his costumes or Nuriev. So it's like it's, it's a fun little room. On. Yeah, I tried them on, but I never. I I usually don't fit many, so I know the names that I that I that I have to look out for that will fit me well. Like these relics of costumes of people that are just like gods in my eyes, you know. Wow, <laughs> so that's amazing, isn't it? And are costumes yeah. different today? Are they quite? I mean, they must, you know, and just like in fashion trends, there must be trends and. Are they still, are there different fabrics now or different, have they become more yeah. tech, technical? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that, that is so true. So I feel like every time there's a new production now, costumes become a bit more, there's more lycra, there's more stretchy fabrics, something that accommodates more the movement because obviously the range of movement for a dancer has changed. Now we do much more expensive movements, the legs go higher. Uh, we bend more, we do Wayne McGregor. I mean, his movement is just like so deconstructed and usually he doesn't put dancers in much clothing. So we use very little. So I feel the costume the design is, is more directed now towards showing the body to the max when before it was like more showing the character first. So it was about like, okay, so you are Prince uh, Crown Rudolf from uh, Austria. So you need to have that very army look and the costumes were really tough. <laughs> But they were beautiful, you know, <laughs> they were very designy. They were very, very, very couture. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> what about when you're off duty? What are you wearing then? Okay, wow, this is such a massive question because I feel like there's so <laughs> many references that I pull. But one thing that I, again, again, in my uh, street style, something that really sparks my interest and something that I really seek to find is that exclusive vintage piece. Like I love... Uh, love, love roaming around. If I go to Paris, I go into vintage stores. If I go to Berlin, I go to vintage stores. I love that. I love wearing something that I know I won't see anyone wearing and as special meaning of a place that I've been. I mean, Jap Japanese vintage clothing is just another world. Uh, where every time we go on tour to Japan, which is quite often, I go to this place called Chimokitosawa and uh, you can find some incredible relics, some really beautiful jeans and... Uh, um, kimonos that are like really like amazing quality and fabrics and I love that I love that that's something that I really like to wear and then obviously I like I like Louboutin shoes I must say I love them oh, they're amazing the heel yeah. the heels yeah I, I love a heel I love a good a, a good Cuban heel boot a sparkly boots with a red bottom <laughs> Have you, have you told him? We did him for this podcast as well he'd yeah. be delighted I've met him I've met him I've met him and he was so loved and he came to see me do Sleeping Beauty actually and he after the show he uh, congratulated me, he saw me do Bluebird which is this very very hard piece of work and he's just a fantastic man I mean and the whole team is incredible and yeah I always I'm very close in touch with them. <laughs> and so you know you've obviously had an amazing career you're very young still and what what are you going on to do are you thinking about i've read i've read that you you've mentioned choreography and how you'd like to go more into that what are the i mean it must be strange or i always think being so young and thinking that you could still do so much i know i know but I you've already thinking, achieved so much yeah, i know i was thinking that because uh obviously thinking of more i just got a mortgage and uh, a house <laughs> And all of these things that I was thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be paying this for so long. Oh, thank you, thank you. And I was thinking, oh, I'm going to have, this is going to be such a long, like, uh, lasting, like, payment that I have to do. And it's such a, 
and I need to really like make sure I know that my next career is going to be as fulfilling as this is. But obviously, I have a lot of friends that tell me, Marcelino, you could not be anything else than an artist, dancer. And I was thinking, really, could I not? And the more I think about it, I, I, th I think they're right. I feel like I really was born for this and I just found my vocation and I need to really like uh, persist in it because I did, I, I am in the world of dance to make a change and I do want to choreograph and I want to choreograph about, about more like with more variety because uh, I do believe that the ballet world is incredible and the dance world is spectacular and you can see so much diversity but I still like I feel like I haven't seen enough LGBT representation in, in ballets and in uh, play and in, in what we're doing in these theatres I haven't seen much about um about problems that we are facing today. I feel like we can bring so much more the modern touch into ballet, into the ballet art form, which I think it's, it would be something that I would love to do. And I think that comes with choreography and directing and being in that position. And that's something that I really aspire to do. You did a video for Gay Pride no? in 2018. Yeah, it's quite funny because I remember when I did that video, I still felt so conscious about like uh, wanting to, to sound right and... Uh, not offend anyone because I was just so aware that like oh my god um, am I representing enough am I being you know outspoken enough and I feel like if I could redo it again I would redo it with, with, with a much more you know confident way because I feel like there's no right or wrong to represent you just have to be yourself and have to really accept and by accepting you are inviting people to you know be part of your journey and to feel comfortable with it as well and I want to do more of that. I want to be more um, in the forefront of that. And just like people like Sam, Sam Levinson and Michaela Cole and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, these people that are on TV that I aspire so much, I think they are really shifting ideas and really representing it in such an artistic, beautiful way. And I feel like I want to do the same in dance. Amazing. I can't wait to see that. And then um, finally... At, normally, when it isn't lockdown, we record this podcast at the Matches Fashion Townhouse in Mayfair, which is called Five Carlos Place. Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very beautiful spot and you should go there. Um, ho hopefully you'll have the chance to visit one day. But um, waiting for the invite. <laughs> <laughs> we'll send one over very soon. Um, but there's a cabinet there and we, I always ask the person on this podcast what they would put in the cabinet to represent them. What would I put in that cabinet? I would love to see the cabinet physically because then I probably would have like more of a more of an idea. I think a piece of music is something that really like uh, would really like sit well with me in that box because I feel like it's something that you can grab at any time and would just transport you elsewhere. And one a piece of music that really for me represents so much revolution and so much uh, creativity is Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. I think it's just like a true moment of creativity and liberation. So I feel like that, and that kind of represents me. It's, it's, it's loud, it's strong, it's passionate, it's visceral. And I feel like that's me. I think that I'll be happy to, have, to add that to the box. <laughs> amazing. Well, I think that will sound amazing in that building. So we can definitely blast it out. Yes. Well, thank you so much for speaking to, with me today and, take, like, as I said, for taking time out of your schedule. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you so much. Same, same. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website. And you can join the conversation on social media 
by searching for at matches fashion, at matches fashion man, and the hashtag five Carlos place. Thanks for listening.